You are listening to Combat Ineffective, The War Room. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Combat Ineffective, The War Room. I am back with yet another episode. I first want to thank a lot of people right now. Our Twitter has just exploded. We have reached 201 followers today, and I just want to thank all of the people that have actually tuned in, that have actually started following that. We've also reached 72 subscribers on YouTube, and we are just a hair away of reaching 50 listeners on Anchor right now. So I want to thank all of you that have actually tuned in and are sharing this with your friends. Thank you. I I can't thank you enough for what you have done. Um, It it really makes me think that people are actually listening to this and that maybe I'm actually doing the right thing by actually recording these and putting out content for all of you to enjoy. Now, the last time I was on here, I went on a rant for probably about 30 minutes about what is going on in Afghanistan. And I have a lot of reasons to do that, mainly because as a veteran, as uh, somebody that supported... Uh, that mission, I still feel a little bit angry about what has gone on. However, this is where some things are a little bit strange. I started doing a little bit of research today because I saw a news article that made me very curious as to what is going on. And what I found out is that there is a small pocket in Afghanistan that is holding up a resistance against the Taliban. Now, this is a, let's put it this way. This is not the first time that there has been a resistance against the Taliban. And give me a moment. I am still fighting COVID here, but I am fighting strong. Uh, Today hasn't been the best of days, but that's just because I've got a fever and some other stuff. So hasn't felt the best, but hey, you know what? I was able to do some stuff on Twitter. I was able to uh, give the dog a wash. Uh, He needed a bath badly. Um, he hasn't been feeling good either. Matter of fact, we kind of think he might have gotten this ear or that, or he's just a very emotive dog and has just been sitting there acting kind of listless, just trying to let us, you know, cuddle on him to help feel better. But myself and my wife and my daughter are still fighting this, and we're going to get better slowly but surely. Um, so there's that. But I've got my Gatorade here tonight. Um, I've already had a couple cups of coffee, so I don't really know if I want to have more coffee. Uh, You know, caffeine's a good thing. I like it. I do like my coffee. Uh, I'm still going through that last can can of H-E-B coffee that I brought with me from Texas when I moved out here. But I just bought a giant can of Folgers. I'm hoping that I didn't screw up in buying that. But hey, it was on sale over at Costco. You can't beat it. And when you're on a budget, every cent counts. And that's exactly what I was doing. Also bought the Gatorade over there. You can buy, a, I think it's a nine-gallon tub of the uh, powdered Gatorade. And I love the stuff. I just wish there were more flavors of it. But I understand why... Uh, Gatorade doesn't put that out. It costs a lot less to get the powder than it does the uh, already made uh, already made drinks of it. But you know what? I again budget. I've got to make sure that I watch my money, and that's a lot cheaper, and I can make more of it, and I can make it the exact flavor I want. So that's why I do that. It, usually, I can only find like three or four flavors, and the only one I like is the Gatorade Frost, and it can't be the G2 stuff. I, I I've got to have the uh, regular Gatorade. So, but anyway, let's back to what is going on. 
So, if you want to do a little bit of digger, digging into history, there is there have been times where there is one specific area in Afghanistan that has been the thorn in the sides of a lot of different groups. And that area is called the Panjir Valley. Now, the Panjir Valley is one of those areas that is it's very, very difficult to maneuver it. And the Afghans know this. Like, this isn't something that they're unaware of. Back when the Mujahideen were fighting the Soviets, the Panjshir Valley was one of the areas where they were most successful with their ambushes against convoys and the, and the like. It also was one of the areas where the Northern Alliance fought against the Taliban and were able to hold out despite having uh, superior odds against them. And they were actually able to hold out a guy named Masood, Ahmad Shah Masood, was their commander. And this is something that you all need to look up if you're not aware of it. In September of 2001, and I believe it was September 9th, he was assassinated. He was assassinated by Al-Qaeda suicide bombers that were disguising themselves as video reporters, as news reporters. And they actually hid the bomb in the camera that they were using. And the reason that that is very, very suspicious of when that happened is more than likely Al-Qaeda and the Taliban at the time knew that if an attack happened in the United States, hint, hint, that there would be retribution and that they would be going after the Taliban to try and uh, overthrow that regime. And what happened? 9-11 happens, the Twin Towers fall, the Pentagon was attacked in Virginia. Don't let anybody fool you on that. That was not Washington, D.C. The Pentagon is actually in Arlington. That is part of Virginia. Uh, then you also had the one plane that went down in the field in Pennsylvania. And after that, very quickly, we sent troops, we sent... Uh, uh, support to the Northern Alliance without their main commander and with their help along with a lot of support we were able to take out the Taliban, overthrow them and force them to run for the hills of Pakistan who has been supporting them ever since their founding. Now anybody that tries to say oh they're not Pakistani uh, really needs to look into the history of the Taliban. The, their fingerprints are all over it. Matter of fact, I believe that the ISID in Pakistan was the one that formed them originally and was giving them all their support. Not the CIA. The CIA was supporting Al-Qaeda. The reason they were supporting Al-Qaeda is because they were actually fairly successful in bringing Mujahideen fighters against the Soviets. Now, that doesn't mean that they made a mistake. They kind of did. But, hey, that's what you do. The enemy of our enemy is our friend. And that's exactly what they were doing there. Uh, if you want to look up more of it, look up the uh, look up the movie Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, that actually kind of shows a lot of what's going on right there. Um, as far as that, the history was there. They don't talk about the Taliban until near the end. And they don't say them by name. They talk about how the crazies were pouring into Kandahar. Now, there's a reason that's important. The Taliban consider Kandahar as their 
hub as their capital city. They don't consider Kabul as their headquarters. They consider Kandahar it because that, I believe, is the spiritual home for a lot of them, uh, mainly because Kandahar and where that is is in Pashtun territory. And if you know anything, if you listen to my last one, the tribal alliances in Afghanistan are very key to everything that's going on. And the Pashtun are the largest tribal group in all of Afghanistan. Matter of fact, they're one of the largest in Pakistan. And in fact, that's why Pakistan is named the way it is, because the PA in Pakistan actually stands for Pashtun. Pakistan, most people don't realize it, is actually pretty much an acronym. If you look at the name and everything about it, if you look at the history, the Pashtu are actually probably one of the largest tribes in Afghanistan and Pakistan. So, just a little bit of the history out of the way. Now, the news is saying that the Taliban is sending several hundred fighters to the Panjshir Valley to try and defeat the Panjshir resistance. What I find very notable is the name of their commander. His last name's Masood. Now, either he's a son of him, or he's a cousin, or a nephew, or something. But, now the Taliban is going to have to deal with, basically, the ghosts of 2001 still sitting there. Now, I don't know what we can do at this point to try and support it. Um... I'm still angry about all of that. I'm still angry if, as far as what the uh, what we did and how we did our withdrawal and how we're still trying to get our people out. So I don't know what we can do to try and support the Panjshir resistance at this point. I, I mean, I don't know what their politics are there. I also don't know if they've been a thorn in our side ever since we've been there. Um, I don't know enough about this current group. I would assume, based on you know the history of them that we would probably be okay with them i just don't know like i said in the last one there aren't any angels in afghanistan so i'm kind of wondering where the balance lies here which type of evil are we dealing with or are these guys are these people okay guys i mean don't kid yourself most of them are going to be guys there's going to be very few uh women that are leading anything over there Ah. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to have to edit that stuff out, hopefully. Ugh, I am fighting COVID, like, as hard as I can right now. Robitussin, Gatorade, you name it, I've been trying to fight right now. And it, it's it been a tough fight. It just makes me uh, tired most days, but right now, that's what I'm really feeling. is tired, and a little bit run down, and a little bit sore. So, that's what I'm dealing with. So... Why would the Taliban be having a problem in the Panjshir Valley? Well, it's going to have to do a lot with the lay of the land, the geography. And in order to defeat hilly terrain and valleys, you have to be able to get above them. You can't really fight that well from the valley floor. You have to get on top of the mountains to fire down. And that is a tall order to do, especially when you don't really have any air support to deal with. Uh, 
I don't think we left much in the way of aircraft that the uh, Taliban can use. Maybe some helicopters, maybe some MI-17s, but I doubt they have MI-24s or MI-35s. And I don't believe they even have light combat aircraft. But even if they did, the Northern Alliance should, excuse me, and they are kind of calling themselves the Northern Alliance again. Uh, there's a longer name for it. Uh, matter of fact, let me see if I can find it. Looks like I'm trying to find it because I've actually pulled up some of the information on it. Um, they're talking about specifically this one from 2001. I'm actually looking at... Uh, here we go. Okay, the second resistance. That's what they're called. Okay, it's the Panjir Resistance, also known as the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan. And the Second Resistance is a military alliance of former Northern Alliance members and anti-Taliban fighters who refer to themselves to the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan created after the 2021 Talif Taliban Offensive. Under the leadership of Afghan politician and military leader Ahmad Massoud and the first vice president of Afghanistan, Amrullah Saleh, born in Panjshir. Now I gotta find out who this Ahmad Massoud is and try to see who this guy was. He was born in 1989, and yes, he was his father's successor. He is the son of Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was an anti-Soviet military fighter. And let's see if they can say what day he was uh, assassinated. September, uh, yep, September 9th, 2001 was when uh, he was assassinated. And they actually called him, they had a name for him. They called him the lion, uh, the lion of pa the Pan the lion of Panjshir, I believe, uh, was one of the most feared fighters that they had. Like I said, I don't know if he was that good. Yeah, if he was that uh, good of a guy, but we supported him because we didn't want Al Qaeda and the Taliban there. Um, and it looks like his son took over in September of 2019. Uh, I gotta see who this acting president is. Amrullah um, Saleh, who is, again, he was, he claimed the office of acting president on August 17th. Uh, he was the fifth first vice president of Afghanistan since February 2020. Wow, that's a lot of them. And served as the Minister of Interior Affairs of Afghanistan from 2018 to 2019. So this guy, let's see, I'm trying to look at what his age is and stuff. He looks like a fairly young guy. Uh, born in 1972 uh, and was then in Panjshir in what was then the Kingdom of Afghanistan. So he's actually one of those people that was actually around before the uh, before the Soviets came in and before those two brothers decided to try and start a, a uh, Soviet-style communist state in Afghanistan. And it does look like, yes, this guy was, he was head of the National Director of Security from 2004 until he resigned in 2010. He also headed Afghan intelligence, and he was a member of Ahmad Shah Massoud's Northern Alliance. So this guy has his fingerprints all over everything that has gone on with the Northern Alliance. This guy knows how it was fought and more than likely has a very good background of what was going on. He also has some revenge that he probably wants on this. Uh, <coughs> says he had an elder sister named 
Mariam, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, who was tortured by Taliban fighters in 1996 after they started a manhunt for him following the fall of Kabul to the Taliban that year. She later escaped, fled Kabul with her family, and lived until 2016. So in other words, this guy has a lot that he wants to say to the Taliban at this point, and I'm willing to bet he's going to try to give them some, some hell of a fight. Uh, the other person that is going up on this anti-Taliban front, along with Ahmad Massoud and Amrullah Saleh, is a guy that was their defense minister, Bismillah Khan Muhammad, Muhammad, uh, Muhammadi. I'm trying to pronounce it right. Uh, it's also just born. Uh, his name is Bismillah Khan. He was born in 1961 in the Panjshir province. Uh, served as the chief of staff of the Afghan National Army from 2010 to 2012, and he held the post of interior minister. Uh, Anti-Taliban background once served as a senior commander under Ahmad Shah Massoud. Despite the fall of Kabul to the Taliban in August 2021, he remains the Minister of Defense as part of the government of the Panjshir Resistance. Uh, and I said, he was born in 1961. And here's a key point. He is ethnic Tajik. The Tajik do not like the Pashtuns. So there is a bit of a resistance here between the Pashtun and the Tajik. Um, Tajikistan, one of the uh, neighboring countries of it, and a lot of their people, again, Tribal relations are part of the issues here. Um, when the Taliban took over in 1996, he served as the Deputy Minister of Defense of the Anti-Taliban and still recognized the Islamic State of Afghanistan. He was a senior commander in the resistance, the United Front, aka the Northern Alliance. So, and after the attacks of September 11th and the subsequent fall of the Taliban, <coughs> <coughs> he was point, appointed commander of Kabul's police force and became a member of the Kabul Security Commission. Uh, during that period, the security situation in Kabul was better than in other parts of Afghanistan. So this guy is a tough fighter. It looks like he's one that may be well-respected. Uh, I'm trying to figure out why, uh, what is really going on. And this guy might actually be a good thing over there. Uh, as interior minister, he hated the ethnic fractions that was within the security forces, and he wanted them to come together in the interest of the country. So he was a nationalist. He wanted Afghanistan for Afghans, and not just, well, no, this part is Pashtu, this part is Tajik, this part is this, this part is that. He didn't want that. Uh, trying to find out what else could be about him, but I can't find it right now. Um... Let's see, looking on it, um, and it looks like he's publicly called for the arrest of the former president, Ashraf Ghani. Um, so this guy is, uh, this guy, these guys that are leading it, I don't know what equipment they've got, I don't know what chances they have, and I also do not know what positions they have and whether they were able to fortify the area enough before the Taliban got there because I know the Taliban's going toward it I don't know how long they're going to be able to hold out or if they will be able to do a counteroffensive to try and keep going on this so this could be very interesting and this might be one of the few hopes that we have 
that the Taliban can actually still be defeated. I, I don't know how good of a chance that is. Again, I don't know how large their force is. I don't know what they're going to be up against. And I don't know what the actual... Um, what the actual feeling of the rest of the people in the country are. Are they going to be welcoming them? Are they going to be supporting them? Or are they just going to be uh, holding the line to the Taliban the entire time? I mean, keep in mind, <coughs> you're talking about 20 years, but there's still quite a few people that remember the Taliban and know what they have to fear on them. And fear is a very powerful weapon. But if they've got a little bit of hope, maybe they're going to be the ones to... Uh, help try and pull this around you know i know it's asking a lot i know it's hoping for a lot but in times like this you've got to have some hope and at least for me this is my hope for a better future for that country it isn't for the united states i don't care about that you know we're gonna you know something happens here you know we're just going to repeat the history of what we did before and bomb somebody back into the stone age you know that's what the united states is pretty much good for uh with this they need some sort of stability they had it they didn't really have it while we were there yeah we were giving them a little bit and some other people were able to grow and they were able to get education and they were actually able to liberalize some of the policies that the taliban had not all of them because i mean it's still an islamic country and they're going to follow their version of it and yes i did say that correctly their version because i don't know if they're shia or sunni i believe they're shia but i could be wrong on that um they could be another sect as well because there's a couple other different sects but they're also a very conservative group and then you also have to deal with isis that's still there and i don't believe isis and the taliban like each other at all I think there's actually open conflict between ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and Al-Qaeda's elements, I am, I would will be willing to bet that they are embedded with the Taliban yet again. Now, determining on who is coming with them and whether uh, some of, the, the, uh, of Al-Qaeda's top lieutenants from bin Laden's days are you know, moving back into Afghanistan, that is another story. Uh, I don't have any information on that. So, what are they going to have to do in order to even, at this point, hold the line? Well, it's going to require a lot of patience, and it's going to require, a, to be honest with you, to have good positioning. Uh, fighting in the mountains is never easy. Uh, if you want to find out how fighting in the mountains can go wrong... Just ask Azerbaijan in the first Artsakh war. They should not have lost that war to Armenia, and yet they did. It was the second one, and that was because they brought some stuff with them. <coughs> when you're able to bring drones with you and allow you to get very accurate artillery fire because of those drones and able to take out air defense weapons and air defense systems from your enemy it's a lot easier to prevent ambushes and to actually take terrain which is something that i talk about in my videos on it if you want to look it up there's the uh, i believe it's called the day of the drone on my youtube channel and you can find that there uh, if you guys can help me get to 100 subscribers on youtube then i can actually get my own url my own custom one 
and so it'll just be youtube.com slash like combat ineffective right now it's youtube.com slash some really generic uh, really long alphanumeric code that really makes it hard for people to find me out there and we're not too far away like i said we were at 72 earlier i think we still are so we need about 30 people right now i'm gonna say if we can get 40 people to come on board we will have more than enough to actually get to that next milestone which is 100 hold it and be able to get that url and get that custom one at least if they still have that i would love to get to about a thousand subscribers on here Try to actually start to do something that gets me into different areas that allows me to possibly monetize there, which I know I have a lot of people that are helping me on Patreon, and your support is so greatly appreciated, but having that, having another uh, source of income coming in would allow me to further increase what I can provide to all of you for a much, much better uh, quality of content and that's always the biggest goal here is to try to break a better show and a better product for all of you and that's what this is this is a product uh, it's been kind of rough especially with my video card dying on this computer and me trying to switch over to podcasts but I've been able to t pivot on that and I was able to you know, switch over to podcasts fairly easily. And that means I can actually do a lot longer of episodes. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are truck drivers, and so I'm trying to get these to be a lot longer episodes so that they have something to listen to while they're driving down the road. And when you have a lot of friends like that, you want to help them be able to stay awake and have something to keep them occupied while they're driving down the road for hours. Now, I want to address some of the comments that I recently got from the last episode, and I'm going to actually bring those up here so that I can see those. Because, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, talking about some of these comments here is probably a nicer way to do it. Uh, let's see. What's some of the first ones? Okay. Um, let's see. I've got to change the filter on this. There we go. Okay. It says here, and it was from one of our subscribers by the name of Bob Walker. It says, Part of me thinks, Raven, that we should have set booby traps on vehicles, tanks, and armaments piles, but I'm guessing we worried about collateral damage to civilians. Afghanistan was, and I believe, will always be tribal and would never give up the opium trade, which to me made this a losing proposition for the U.S., as it was to the Russians. And I'm not affixing blame to any president for doing what we did. There's no point in it, and it's an exercise in futility to try. I know someone very close to you that believes it's the former president's fault, and that's just plain silly. Get feeling better, Raven, and then there's a thumbs up. Now, here's the thing about trying to booby trap vehicles, tanks, and stuff like that. I don't know if that would have actually been a good strategy to start off with because I don't think we were actually expecting to ha watch the entire Afghan National Army full-on collapse. That's one of the biggest problems is if you have your entire defensive line that you're expecting is going to be able to hold up and 
time and time again we've been told that they were ready and ready to fight, that they were going to be able to hold their own, they were going to be able to take it, they had the responsibility, they could do it. You can't booby trap the vehicles and stuff because they're using them. Now, once they start losing, well, it's going to fall into enemy hands. Now, at that point, I don't know if what the deal was that we made with the Taliban. Because there were negotiations, and it's something that I have talked about. The Trump administration did have uh, negotiations with the Taliban to end the hostilities. And there was supposed to be a transition for the withdrawal. But I don't know what was in that agreement. And I don't know what has changed once the uh, Trump administration was no longer in power and it switched over to the Biden administration. These are the details that I don't know and most people probably will never know unless they were somebody that was there in the actual building with them. So unless you're, pri uh, unless you're privy to that conversation, we may never know what the actual deal was. What I do know is that we probably should have done something along the lines to help the ones that were actually loyal, the ones that were fighting, to get them to the right positions that they could actually hold them off and actually maybe start a counteroffensive and to defeat the Taliban that way. I don't know if that was going on in the background. I don't know if <coughs> basically the current administration just went, you know what, we're done with this. You, uh, so, you know... U.S. military, you did your job. Our allies, you did your job. Uh, we're not going to fight it anymore. We're just going to, you know, just leave at this point, and we're not going to fight any further. I'm not really sure what happened there. Um, as far as the opium trade goes, yeah, they're probably going to go right back to it. Uh, that is a very strange thing with the Taliban, is because for a long time, they kept saying that they were against the opium trade. Um, matter of fact, there were times where they would just wholesale go out there and kill farmers for raising opium. But the only reason that they were doing that was because they weren't getting the money for it. Then, after they fell in 2001, they were some of the first to come back into those areas and force those exact same farmers to grow opium, basically for, you know, for them. So that they could actually fund their fund their pursuits, fund their attacks. And that was one of the biggest crops that they had. Uh, the reasons for it, it paid a lot more than wheat did. It paid a lot more than cotton. So if you're a farmer that probably going to have a gun to your head anyway from somebody saying you're going to grow this and you're going to sell it to us. If they're going to come in and already threaten you. And then say, oh, by the way, we're going to pay you for this. We're not going to just steal it. We're going to pay you for it. And by the way, it pays more than the wheat and stuff like this. I'm, you know, I'm no economist, but I kind of think that you're probably going to go with that route. And that was a problem. That was a problem for years. I don't know if that was still an issue as of 2020 and 2021, but I'm probably sure it probably was. So they're probably going to go back to that again. They're probably going to build up their stockpiles of it so that they have basically a war reserve so that if they have to fight us again, they've got something with which to fall back on yet again that they can sell so that they can build up their war chest again and fight us by bringing in more Mujahideen, more soldiers from Pakistan, you know, and the, the, the game just goes on and on. But 
what is hopeful here is maybe we've actually changed some of these people's minds about who they're supporting and maybe if the Northern Alliance is able to take back some of the country, maybe some of these people will think twice about it. But who knows? We'll see what happens there. Let's see, what other comments do we have? Uh, I've got to talk about a previous one with the uh, submarines I was talking about. And let's see. <coughs> Somebody uh, by the name of Matthew Breboulet, uh he goes, Combat ineffective. I agree the Russians have abandoned naval power because new wars will not use it anymore. I kind of agree with you there, mainly because I don't think we're going to see it where you're using submarines out there to try and, you know, choke off another country. You might be able to take one or two ships out. Um, after all, it looks like North Korea, I mean, North Korea still has plenty of submarines, and they've got to do something to actually fight the blue water cap Navy capable South Koreans. So what are you going to use? You're going to use your submarines that have your the best chance of actually getting through. Their smaller ships, their smaller boats that they've got out there, their patrol boats and stuff, almost don't really stand a chance because they don't have the same uh, fire control radars, they don't have the same guns, they don't have the same training, and they're not as adept as the South Korean Navy is. But if you can get close enough with a submarine and fire off a shot without them knowing you're there, you have a very good chance of sinking a ship, as they pretty much proved. Um, but aside from that, I mean, when you look at some of the uh, casualties of it they've had out there, I think there's been way more subs sunk by accidents than there has been ships sunk by submarine attack. Now, that numbers those numbers could change if we were to put in and prove that they were from submarine the uh, stuff that was uh, you know water water mines that were launched uh, during the Iran Iraq war there were many times that uh, sea mines hit different ships tankers warships stuff like that and either almost sink or did sink some of them in the Persian Gulf so if you put those numbers into it and find out that they may have been from submarines, that might sway your number a little bit further. And again, it's very hard to tell who laid the mines out there. Usually it's just ships that are disguised that they just drop them off because it's a lot easier that way. Uh, and you don't have to risk your submarine. But who knows on that? Let's see. What else have we got? We got this is a uh, comment going back about six months, and I should have been doing this for a while. This was for the INS Vikram Aditya, a Russian lemon or Indian lemonade, and this is from Mook Nation Gaming, my buddy Mookie over there, and he goes, man, half the air aircraft carriers are the U.S. That's crazy. I'm glad to see a new upload full watch from me. I tried hitting you up on Twitter, my friend, and we are friends on Twitter. We're also friends on Discord. Uh, I'm part of his channel over there with a bunch of other uh, small streamers that are out there. We're all trying to help each other to succeed and try to get our numbers up, and I do appreciate all the help we're getting on that, and I always want to support them. And it is kind of strange when you look at the numbers of aircraft carriers out there. Just our regular aircraft carriers alone, and I'm not even talking about the marine flat tops that we have out there that can 
operate helicopters and F-35s and any other type of jump jet that you can have. I'm talking specifically about our regular carriers, and we have 11 of them. Nobody has even close to that. The closest that we have right now is two from any other country. Um, China may be getting close to a third one, but I don't think it's out there yet. So even with that, you still have, with only three of them, we have 11 of that. That disparity in numbers is enormous. Uh, one, and the thing is, is that our aircraft carriers, they're all super carriers. They're a class above everybody else. Uh, you're talking 90 to 100,000 ton displacement, whereas most others, it's usually 35,000, 45,000, 65,000, and the largest, I think, is the Charles de Gaulle at 80,000. And the air wings that are on station with these carriers is somewhere around 80 to 90 aircraft. And you're talking frontline strike aircraft. And they're right now starting to do the transition from just F-18s right now with the E-2s and some E-18 Growlers, which is just the uh, um, electronic warfare version of the F-A-18 Super Hornets. They're starting to get the F-35s, the uh, naval variant, up to the initial operating capability. So they are going to be out there soon. You're going to be having those come more and more online. And as that happens, you're going to have stealth aircraft on aircraft carriers at this point. Uh, it's going to be hard to defeat that. It, it, I mean, we usually have two or three... <coughs> ready to go at any time at any given time and they're always stationed at different areas around the world but the fact that we still have at least two to three out there when usually most other countries don't even have their sailing all the time just tells you the disparity in power right there well that is gonna be about it for me tonight I uh, want to thank all of you that have tuned into this podcast and have suffered through what I must be sounding like on this. I know I'm probably sounding terrible, but hey, I'm fighting through COVID. I want to thank all of you for your support out there. It, it means the world to me. Uh, it means the world that people actually like this content and are actually supporting it. Uh, that in itself gives me motivation to keep on going. If you are listening to this and wish to be a supporter of this channel, there are a few ways you can do that. If you look on Anchor, uh, you can actually, there's a button for ways that you can actually, uh, you can actually support this. You can actually become a listener supporter on Anchor. There's a way to do that. Um, you can also join our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash combat ineffective uh right now we have six uh six different uh patrons right now and we do have three different levels there's sergeant captain and general um so we do have three different ways that you can support us and all of them have different things that we do give for all of those different levels and the general level do ha does have some nice merchandise that we uh give as gifts for uh, your support so we do appreciate that uh, go check out our website that's also where we're going to be putting all of our 
pod, links for our podcast episodes and our videos. So those go up on there. Uh, sh- uh, check out our Twitter, which, like I said, is exploding right now. And that is uh, just search for us at twitter.com slash combat in effect one or it's the at sign combat in effect the number one and that should get you there we're also on facebook not using that too much because i don't really get much traffic off of it so but it's there uh, and i want to thank all of our patrons right now we've got like i said we've got six of them um, I want to thank our generals, uh, General Richie and Sergio Suarez. I want to thank our captains. That is uh, Robert and Teresa Walker and Stephen Creer. And then we have Raspberry Padar and uh, uh, Polly Bun as my two sergeants on there. So I want to thank all of you for supporting us for this so long. Uh, through our hiatus while we, I was in training and as we're transitioning through the podcast and now as we're sick right now and just trying to keep content going. I want to thank you all for giving me this opportunity and this platform uh, to provide this content to you. I thank you very much and I will see you on the next episode of Combat Ineffective War Room. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, all of that good stuff, and I will see you on the next episode.